0: Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet VetNurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, you'll hear from Natalie, the Academic Director of the Australian College of Vet Nursing. Natalie has Certificate 4 qualifications in veterinary nursing, canine behaviour, training and assessment, and diplomas in vocational education and training, surgical nursing, and emergency and critical care. When I listened back to this interview, it occurred to me that Natalie is an extremely empathetic person. So much of what she has to say comes from a place of sensitivity towards how another person or animal is feeling. This natural proclivity towards empathy is a perfect fit for Natalie's passion for canine and more recently, feline behaviour. Behaviour is also one of my favourite areas, so I loved geeking out with Natalie on this topic. Natalie's career moved from clinical nursing to academia following the loss of a very special dog and the cascade of events that followed. I'm really grateful to Natalie for talking about this and other topics with a level of honesty and vulnerability that I know was not easy. These experiences underpin Natalie's drive to empower other nurses to recognise and manage stress and compassion fatigue, which is, of course, an essential part of our story. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse.
1: Hi, Kat. How are you today?
0: Very well, thank you. That's
1: good, that's good. I'm pretty excited to be here.
0: I'm really excited to have you finally.
1: Yeah, it's been a little while in the making. Uh, I'm quite nervous, um, but I'm <laughs> sure that you'll make this as easy as you can for me.
0: Yeah, I find that it, once we get rolling, it's kind of easy to even forget that we're recording. So um, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll be a pro and I'm really interested to hear um, all about your story. So, yeah. To start with, do you listen to podcasts? If so, what are some of your favorites?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't listen to them very often. Um, probably only started on a regular basis once I saw your radio vet nurse um, business go live uh, five, six months ago. Yeah, um, And I tend to listen to them uh, at the end of my work day, uh, doing a bit of baking or something like that, uh, just to calm down and relax. Uh, and I find... Uh It's really interesting, I guess, the guests that you've had on board Mm -hmm. Um, and what it's highlighted to me is that whilst we're all attracted to this industry, uh, for for the same reason, we all uh, like animals, we want to help them and advocate for their care and their health. Um, Geez, doesn't everyone bring something really different uh, Mm -hmm. to that role from their experience? So Mm -hmm. probably uh, Radio Vet Nurse is the only one I really listen to on a regular basis. I try and get uh, uh, onto Bad Dog Agility uh, just for some handling tips uh, for agility. Yep. Um, if you've got some suggestions, send them through and I can have a go.
0: I will have a think for you, definitely. Um, you. And where are you from and where do you currently live?
1: Uh, the short story is uh, from Adelaide and still live here. Um, I didn't think that was a very interesting answer, so I thought I'd sort of dive back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, my mum lived out in Reid in Western Australia, which is on the train line across the Nullarbor. Oh, wow. Three houses on the side of the road, uh, side of the rail line. Actually, there wasn't even a road, Uh, no shops, no facilities or anything. And so we lived uh, out there with uh, my older brother. Um, I was born in Cook, South Australia. So the flying doctor actually came, uh, picked my mum up from Reid when she was in labour. Wow. Uh, And took her into Cook, which was the nearest hospital, which is in SA. I was actually born um, in the aircraft hangar. I didn't quite make it to the the hospital. Um, (laughs) And we left uh, Reid when I was still very young, so just a toddler. And then I grew up between country Victoria and Adelaide um, and have just settled in Adelaide for my adult life.
0: So... Go back, your mum didn't make it to the hospital.
1: No, um, labour progressed quite quickly. Uh, you were the second baby. Second baby, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. and I don't know, maybe uh, living out on her own uh, with no facilities around. Maybe she left it a little bit late to call the doctor, who knows? Thought mm-hmm. she knew what she was doing. Um, yeah, and so we at least landed, um, but yeah, I was born in the aircraft hangar. In Cook, South Australia, with the Royal Flying Doctors. So, thank you very much to them.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, you were in a hurry. You had stuff to do. You were like, I'm not waiting.
1: Yeah, apparently. Uh, (laughs) That's probably not how I live my life generally, but I certainly started with a bang.
0: That's really cool. And so, sorry, when did you say you went, you moved into Adelaide? Um,
1: Still in my childhood. So it was probably four or five around about the time that we uh, settled in Adelaide. And I've really been here ever since. Um, The family home is uh, just five minutes down the road from my house now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been fairly settled and, and local to this area for quite a few years
0: excellent i've only been to adelaide once to play at warm adelaide but um there's a really I'm, I'm realizing there's a pretty um pretty good vet nursing scene there it seems like like
1: we're a fairly close-knit community and we have a relatively small town so uh, yeah yes it's capital city but it has a bit of a country town feel to it and we're fortunate that we've got some really good quality general practice clinics uh, spread out all around the city Mm -hmm. Um, and those nurses that work there are fairly open about sharing uh, their experiences, their skills and I guess there's that natural swap over between jobs and stuff like that that helps everyone stay very connected. Um, I think we're very fortunate in that sense.
0: Where did you start in the vet nursing industry? How did you get your foot in the door?
1: Yeah, to be honest, it wasn't a career that I ever looked at and I kind of fell into it um, through my interest in dog training. So at the, uh, from when I left school, I went straight into medical research. So. Doing some research uh, on some blood pressure research models um, at Flinders Medical Centre which is one of the big hospitals here. Mm -hmm. Uh, From there I was really fortunate to move into a private biotech company which was doing some research on human stem cells uh, for Parkinson's disease. Uh, Spent five or six years with that particular business, uh, did a stint over in the US, so in uh, Athens in Georgia, um, and helped set some of their research model programs up over there. Um, Whilst I was working for that company I was also doing a bit of training with my own dogs at the time and I wasn't completely happy with uh, the methods that were being used uh, to train him for competitive obedience Mm -hmm. and so I went out and did uh, the canine good citizen certificate through the Delta Society Mm -hmm. Uh, and part of that training was to to start running some classes so I approached some of the local vet clinics and started running puppy preschool. Uh, from there uh, one of those clinics offered me a job and so I changed careers um, yeah and then found myself in vet nursing which I really loved.
0: That's a that's an interesting um, path to vet nursing you've you know really clearly gone the behavioral kind of um, entry entry, but you're coming from a science and, and medicine background as well so.
1: Yeah it's um, I have a, a quite a strong interest in you know the why are we doing what we're doing and how does that disease process work and Why are we using that medication when this one on the surface appears to do the same thing and so I think that that science background has given me a quite inquisitive mind into uh, why why us nurses are doing the things that we're doing and how can we improve what we know about uh, some of the decisions those the vets are making for patient care so that we can better support those decisions uh, for better outcomes for our patients
0: yeah excellent and did you start doing do you do obedience and rallyo and agility and all of that still
1: um not in the last few years uh mm-hmm. we've had some uh difficult dogs um in our lives um, mm-hmm. and so we have one particular dog which we'll probably talk about a bit later uh, who had some mental health problems um, mm-hmm. and she's another big driver for some of the things that I've done with my career. Um, and currently uh, we have uh, an older dog, Aspen, who uh, we remind her all the time, like you're eight, you should know better than yeah. the things that you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she has uh, some kidney disease and stuff like that, so we don't actively uh, compete with her in anything. Yeah. Our young puppy is he's only Five, six months old, um, and he is our future prospect because we now have a bit of time in our lives where we can get back to that competitive world.
0: Is that Sir so Split?
1: That is Sir uh, Splitty, correct.
0: Yes, and the we is Kerry, your partner as well? That's right, yes. And had she always done agility and obedience, you know, or did she sort of get that interest from you?
1: Um, she's probably got the interest from me. Uh, to be honest, her her main passion is just razzing the dogs up, <laughs> getting them super excited and bouncing around the lounge room um, and then having a bit of a cuddle after that. Yeah. Um, is actually her dog and yeah. this is a, a really nice journey for them to learn uh, how to build a, a nice relationship to, to start a, a competition uh, yeah. life, I
0: guess. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, and it, it's really nice to watch the two of them work together and learn together as well.
0: Yeah, and it does change the bond. I know that um, when I first met Matt, um, dog was two years old, or nearly two, or one and a half, or so. And he was very much Matt's dog all the way until um, we started Ready Vet. And I started taking Dog through, I took him through all the agility and Rallyo and obedience levels. Yeah. And then he sort of became my dog. And, you know, instead of looking to Matt for what should I do in this situation, he was very much looking to me. And Matt was like, oh, I don't know if I like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a, a little bit of uh, jealousy sometimes. When when somebody's like this situation's a bit hard what should I do and and goes to Kerry for some feedback yeah. it's like but I've got the answer over here yeah. um, but it, it is also really nice to see the two of them go through that decision making process and work out what works for them um, yeah he works quite differently for for each of us and and responds quite differently um, which is nice that he's then learning that he can work with different people as well
0: yeah yeah and it's they're so hungry for it these um these working dog sort of um, breeds aren't they like is splitty a border collie
1: yeah he is he's from uh keridan kennels in new south wales and so Mm -hmm. that's uh, owned by kelly gill who uh, breeds and trains the wonder dogs that we see on tv Mm -hmm. um and so he is uh, quite a high drive dog quite a different personality to the border collies that we have and have bred ourselves Um, and we really notice if you don't keep his brain active and that might just be a, a three-minute uh, training session on how to put your back feet up on something. Yep. Uh, but if we miss those things, uh, he can be a pretty challenging dog to live with. Uh, so <laughs> keep, keeps us on our toes and keeps us accountable, I guess, for that training. And, and did we do the right thing by him? And is that why he's being a bit bratty on any given day?
0: Yeah, and you're right. It doesn't take long. If you do something that really makes them think, then they'll go and have a sleep after that. And you're like, oh, that was easy. I should have gotten up and done that with you ages ago. You've been harassing me for an hour.
1: Yeah and I I find it interesting that people you know they'll uh, the dog is naughty or doing this one thing um and put up with that for infinite amounts of time but just a couple of minutes invested in them where you're actively doing something um yeah. you know the dog doesn't want to know about anything for the next three days because they're exhausted
0: yeah and thinking about it and go for next time like yeah i've been analyzing what we did and now i think i get what we were doing and you can just be like wow you've been thinking about this you can yeah, do it now
1: exactly yeah it's really nice to watch and really nice to see
0: it is. Now, for my next question, I should add, um, so I want to talk about where you work, your role, what you do from day to day. And the yeah. reason why I know you is through this role. So, um, a couple of years back, I started my diploma in vet nursing in general practice. And you, for from a certain point on, you were my, um, my teacher trainer. And you were amazing. And I was always able to ring you and say, I'm having a bit of trouble with this or I need to resubmit that. And um, you were very generous with your time. You walked me through everything and then um, after I had Elijah, you you know helped me dec- making my decision about when to come back or having a break for a while, but um, we've stayed in, in contact. So yeah. can you tell us a bit about Australian College of Vet Nursing and what you do there?
1: Yeah, um, it's a really cool little business. It was started by Harry Phillips uh, just in her lounge room and initially she was just running continuing education. Um, mostly because she, as a qualified or newly qualified nurse, didn't feel as though she was equipped uh, to do her job properly and mm-hmm. wanted to find ways to help other nurses overcome that sense as well. So the business started and has grown uh, to what it is now where we develop, uh, deliver uh, recognised training and certificate and diploma level education. Uh, in Within the business, I am the academic director and so day-to-day, the things I would do are writing resources, developing new course material, uh, mentoring and helping our diploma students, as you know, Mm -hmm. um, and manage a a pretty awesome team of nurse educators that do the bulk of the work for the business and and the bulk of the student support and and helping all of these new nurses come through and learn and be passionate about their learning as well.
0: Yeah, great. And what's your favourite part of your job of all of these things that you do?
1: Yeah, I think uh, from a selfish point of view, it's being able to stay home and work in your pyjamas if you're running late for work. Um, It's the best. Yeah, it really is. It's nice. Um, But from a job point of view, um, I think the very best part of it is learning from the students. Mm -hmm. I think that every person that we have through, you know, from our fresh out of high school Uh, want to be a vet nurse because the stereotypical love puppies and kittens, uh, Mm -hmm. 18-year-old girls, uh, three to diploma students like yourself who have a wealth of experience and other qualifications behind them. Everyone has something to give and and something to bring to that uh, that we haven't experienced before and I think that's probably my favourite part of the job is uh, building those relationships so that I can learn just as much from those students as, as I can teach them from our course.
0: Yeah, and I like that about having junior vet nurses in the clinic as well because um, they're going off and doing assignments and coming back saying, oh, I had to submit our protocol on this, but I also think we could add this to it. And you're like, oh, that's great. Let's add that in and and make that improvement because they do have the most up-to-date education at the end of the day, even if they're early in their studies.
1: Yeah and I think it's uh, really nice to see some of those uh, because it would be hard I think for a a new nurse or someone who is still learning to have confidence to go into their clinic and say I've learnt this and I think we should try and apply it Mm. Um, and that's uh, one of the really nice things I think about the way we deliver education is that we help uh, support some of those skills and help each nurse identify the strengths that they've got in those communication channels and they've got something worthy to say and, and they should speak up because they're making a difference across the board. It's not just one thing. Every patient that comes through the door um, is going to be positively impacted by those changes.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm I'm really interested to know um, while you were working, so prior to working for Australian College of Vet Nursing, you were working um, in a GP clinic yeah. and you were interested in critical care, medical nursing and Another area you really enjoyed, I would love to hear more about, you um, have told me that you enjoyed dealing with difficult customers. Like, tell me your secret. How do you make this enjoyable?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a secret per se. Um, I think that I enjoy trying to understand where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, fair bit of empathy that, you know, sometimes these difficult customers are difficult because there's a lot of stress involved with the decisions that they're making. Uh, We're not always aware of what's going on in their life, and I think just giving them an ear to to listen and and Mm. not to judge them, just to say, yeah, that is hard. It it is difficult when you've got children's birthday parties and a sick animal and a single income family, and you're trying to balance these things. And sometimes you know the hardest decision is made, uh, and it might not be the decision that they particularly want or even that they agree with then that can make uh, a lot of emotion
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and yeah I think just giving them an an ear so that they can feel listened to feel supported and then uh, I often find that in those situations uh, there's a really nice opportunity to educate them that uh, I guess often these difficult clients are difficult over financial uh, concerns Mm
0: -hmm. and I think
1: that uh, having them having the opportunity to provide them with some information on where those costs come from and, and mm. what they're getting for that and helping them understand where the clinic sits uh, can be really nice. And some of the most challenging clients that we've handled um, have become some of the very, very best clients uh, within the clinic. And sometimes money is not the main issue that they have. It's just mm. that that's something that they can, uh, I guess, argue about and they can focus some of that emotion on when they may not want to address some of the other issues that, that have they're going on in their life.
0: Mm, it's something that's within their knowledge and understanding the way that money works and what something is perceived to be worth, whereas they might not be able to argue on the the workup of the case or, you know, the medical side of things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, some empathy for, for that person and helping them understand yeah. those points uh, can go a long way to to building, I guess, a, a nice relationship with that client and a, a solid ground that you know, this is actually what we have and what can we do from this point to move forward?
0: I think it's an important skill for nurses to develop because often, well, in my experience, often the client won't air these concerns to the vet. They will want to keep that good relationship with the vet because they feel like their patient won't get the best of care if they've acted out, I guess, with the vet, but they will... Um, they will unload on the nurse, especially if it is frustration, you know, orientated and sometimes I'll be like, oh, well, I don't know enough about that, but I can definitely get um, one of the vets to speak with you and the person will be like, no, 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 don't, no, I don't want to talk to them. No, I just am saying this and they they really don't want it to go any further. They just want to be frustrated and um, vent that at someone.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, it's important to let some of those clients do that and have that opportunity so that they don't hold on to that frustration. It becomes a negative experience for them over time
0: exactly and you can just um be empathetic and say yeah it is it is really difficult and you know it's it's really unlucky to have um this situation where you've done everything possible for your pet but they've got this nasty disease and yes the workup is expensive um but hopefully we can get some answers and um and know how to move forward
1: yeah yeah and i think um if we had more nurses that had the ability I think uh, not to take some of that stuff personally and I I know that we all try um, Mm. but it is very hard if you have a a, someone who is uh, angry and has a lot of emotion directed at you that it is hard not to take that personally but I think that's a I guess a skill that uh, if we could grow that in our nurses then we can deliver a better level of service and and help build relationships with our clients. Yeah, it's
0: hard when you're expecting someone to say thank you um, and you know all of the hard work and blood, sweat and tears that everybody has put in and it's, you know, discharge time and you're ready for that. Thank you and you don't get that and instead you get criticism. That's when I find it really hard to stay calm and um, I think time is sometimes a good thing like to say to that person – I'm definitely gonna think about um, everything that you've said and I'm gonna call you later on and we'll have a chat because sometimes I know in the moment I just can't control myself (laughs) to to the level I need to.
1: Yeah, and I do think um, I'm pretty good at uh, putting emotion aside like my own personal emotion in those situations and just Mm -hmm. being quite analytical about uh, this person is uh, upset, sad, frustrated, angry, whatever it happens Mm to be and just letting them talk their way through that and and people often will just talk their way out of that emotion and then they kind of have nothing left to say get down to the crux of it which is I'm worried about my dog or my cat Mm -hmm. um and then that's something that we as nurses can work with and and we can empathize and and let them know that you know we care about their dog and their cat and and how that client is feeling as well and uh, in some cases turn that around
0: For people who are mostly motivated to enter this career because they love working with animals, we have to do some crazy things working with people, like really difficult things.
1: Yeah, I think uh, sometimes, you know, when we're advertising jobs as vet nurses or or even education, uh, instead of love puppies and kittens or love animals, we should actually be saying love people. This is the job for you because it's a really big part of the role and I think... uh, Perhaps that communication and that client contact is not an aspect that a lot of new nurses will think about before they step into the job.
0: That's right, and that the and the flip side of that coin is the great the great clients. Like we had a um VIP client Christmas party recently, and it wasn't based on the clients that are billing in the top you know twenty percent of income or whatever. We based it on people that um, support us and people who take our recommendations and um and. I guess who are just a pleasure to deal with and who look after their pets and and you know use preventative measures and we had them all in one room and they were all stoked to be there like um and to meet each other like other like-minded animal lovers and it's it's nice every now and again to remember that because i think most of the clients are great and it's just sometimes unfortunately the challenging ones that stick with you
1: yeah and and i think it is really nice to celebrate those clients that uh, bring joy into the clinic when they mm. come in um, and I mean I've been out of full-time practice for quite some time but some of the really good clients uh, that I know from when I was in practice I still keep in touch with now uh, because they're genuinely good people and yeah. they care about the business and the people within the business um, as well as uh, I guess their own animals and it is quite a personal bond that can be made.
0: It is I'd really like to talk more about um, when you left clinical nursing in 2013, um, and I know the reason why you left, and I think it's really important to talk about. Are we able to, to go there?
1: Yeah, if I, if I get a bit teary, uh, you can forgive me, um, but yeah, Absolutely. we can definitely go there and have a talk about it.
0: Yeah, so, so I understand you, you lost a, a really special dog that year.
1: Yeah, so we had uh, a border collie, I've had border collies for a long time, Mr, um, who was uh, I guess the heart dog that everyone talks about, had a very good relationship with him and he had uh, been non-specifically unwell for quite a few months and I would just take him into the clinic and sit in tears in the consult room. Something's wrong, I don't know what it is, but he's, he's just not right, uh, blood tests were coming back normal scans were coming back normal um, eventually it was actually when my first litter of puppies were uh, due to leave the house and go to their new homes um, He, I felt his abdomen one morning and just like this tummy is massive um, and so we took him into to work and did an x-ray and saw that there was a very large uh, space occupying mass within his tummy um, and at that point I wasn't sure that I had the emotional strength to take him to surgery and so I thought that I just had to say goodbye uh, there and then. Um, My boss at the time a very very strong person and and did things in my best interest I guess said that we have to take him to surgery um you're not making a rational decision right now Uh, and so we did take him to surgery and he had a um a mesochymoma very rare tumor of Mm. the spleen Mm -hmm. uh, which it was they're rapid growing but apparently quite benign Mm -hmm. so the prognosis was actually quite good for him um But he had metastases to his liver um, and I think we only had, uh, it was about six to eight weeks with him Mm -hmm. uh, from that surgery to when we ended up having to say goodbye and losing him I think was one of the big, what was one of the big drivers because I realised that I was putting all of my emotion and energy into caring for other people's pets um, and I would come home and I I just didn't really have a lot of emotion to give him or my family Mm. and I think that that was a real line in the sand for me it's just I was completely emotionally exhausted Uh, compassion fatigue you know you could put a a description search for it on wikipedia and it would have been me at that time Yeah. Um, yeah and that really made me realize that uh, at some point you have to look after yourself so mm. that you have enough of yourself to give to all the things that are important uh, mm-hmm. in your
0: life. Mm. And it really can creep up like that as well. And and I've heard so many people describe it the same way that you just turn around and go, oh, gosh, it's me. Like I'm the, the, the wiki definition now. Or if you look it up in the dictionary, it's it's this. But it's even worse when you're nursing a patient through sickness and it's it's your own pet as well.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty challenging time um, mm. and you know you, you know, from your own experience that you go into work and you give 100% to, mm. to those animals there because they're mm-hmm. there and, and that's why you're there is to look after them mm. um, and then you don't realise that you're starting to resent the time that your family or your pets or that one tiny little barking staffy out the back that, you know, that dog's not doing that because he's trying to give you a hard time. That's because he's having a hard time. Um, and what we should be doing is a little bit more to help that patient, but you just get frustrated because you have yeah. nothing left to give. Um, yeah. And certainly for me, it uh, was one of the drivers for changing from clinical nursing full-time uh, into education. Yeah. Um, and certainly uh, gave me a bit of motivation to help people recognize this and I think we need to talk about it we need to say it's okay to say I'm not coping Mm. it's okay to say that I have nothing left to give um, Mm -hmm. and to take time to to recharge and I hope that some of the things that we're doing through our courses is that we're skilling these nurses in recognizing what what does it look like when I'm starting to get stressed and and what is this compassion fatigue and how do I feel when I'm out of emotional energy and what do I do to stop myself staying on that path.
0: Especially um, when people are just starting out in the industry and they're so excited and they, they'll stay late for that surgery and they'll, you know, stay late to fix that patient that just soils its bedding as they're about to leave and um, just keep giving and giving and just think that they're living the dream but not knowing that it all has a knock on effect and eventually it's, it's totally exhausting, and um, and it's also. I think it's also really important to talk about how we have so much to give in other ways as being vet nurses who are not necessarily active nursing or working in clinics. And that's something I'm learning from all of these interviews. Is there there are so many ways we can be part of this industry?
1: Yeah, and. And I, I certainly I struggled for a long time leaving clinical nursing. Um, couldn't drive past the vet clinic that I had been at because that felt like home, and yeah. oh, I can't go home. And you know, it was it was a really challenging uh, time for me. But it's helped me recognise that there's other ways that I can help the industry grow and help the people within the industry provide the level of care that I would want to provide to someone else's pet. But also now being on the other end of that. Uh, just being a client that yeah. I want that you know my pets and uh, to receive um, and I think that if we can have a bit of a global shift to a little bit more um, self-care that will actually, in effect, uh, like you said, have a a knock-on effect that we're actually delivering better service to our patients and clients over time. It's not always about staying late um, and Mm. and putting in all of the extra hours and emotion. I think some of it is about looking after yourself uh, to be good at what you do when you're there.
0: Absolutely. And on the track of that self-care, is is there anything that you do to set yourself up for the day? Like, Do you have a routine that that that's looking after those interests, how do you start the day?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that the first thing is to wear the dogs out so, so that they're not busy during the day. Uh, with four border collies in the house, it does get uh, a little hectic at times.
0: Are they all yours? Or? Yeah,
1: no, they're all ours. So we've got um, Aspen who is eight um, and she. we have one of her sons, Django mm-hmm. who is uh, five. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Lexi who is a little Dog that we bought in from the UK, um, and she is four. And then little Sir Split, who's 21 weeks now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we have a whole range of, of ages, and you know, a nice bit of boys and girls across the board. But yeah, uh, just to get that day started is to get the dogs out for a walk. Uh, it's not even a particularly long walk. It's just out on lead, have a sniff and a wander, and start the day, watch the sun come up, that kind of stuff. Um, so you are up early. Yeah, with a puppy in the house and a kitten now, actually. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no sleep-ins around here, which you're probably very familiar with anyway. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, yeah, get them out for a walk and then a nice dose of coffee uh, yes. to get me awake. Because um, my role is very uh, academic and administrative now. Um, and I guess I'm here to support my assessing team. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've learned to help that day be successful is to plan my day with uh, tasks that are a bit mobile that I can shuffle around and mm-hmm. do today or tomorrow um, around some goals that are going to help me achieve uh, my job, uh, just simply so that I am flexible and have time to support the team. Yep. Um, that's probably one of the most critical things uh, for my current role.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. And um, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you're a planner and a, a goal setter. It's um it's the only way that I I am just achieve nothing if I sit down without a plan and drift from task to task.
1: Yeah, I have a, a notebook that's uh, WTF am I doing today? Uh, which was uh, a gift from from Tab actually, who I work with, um, yeah. and that has been instrumental in planning my day. About <laughs> what are we doing today? And what are we going to put off to tomorrow? And stuff like that. And I, and that particular notebook. Uh, always helps you start the day with a, a bit of a smile on your face and a bit of get <laughs> up and go like yep we're going to get these things done.
0: I like it I like it and what um, weekly or daily habit makes your life better?
1: Um, probably getting to the gym and uh, a bit of physical exercise um, mm-hmm. that's reasonably important I don't always get there every day uh, but we certainly try and um, I think uh, my partner, Kerry, is studying medicine, so she's here, oh, wow. about to start fourth year and her last year of medicine. Awesome. Um, one of the nicest things about that is uh, we get to sit down at the end of the day, uh, have a chat about our day and compare the differences between uh, human medicine and veterinary medicine and uh, same disease processes, but they're treated so differently. Uh, yeah. in some cases and just nutting out like why do you use that medication why do you go to this one first like mm. why why do we look for pulse deficits that's just not even heard of in the human world but they mm-hmm. also slap an ECG on everything that walks through the door so mm-hmm. um I think that uh is is a little habit that makes life better because it gives us a chance to grow and explore and have a better understanding of what e- what we're doing each day um,
0: yeah.
1: and some of those challenges as well
0: and um, do you have any strange habits or superstitions?
1: Not, not really. Um, I'm pretty boring from that point of view. I thought really hard <laughs> about this question. Um, and probably the only weird thing that I could come up with is that I can't order fast food uh, if I'm out on my own. <laughs> and so if I'm travelling on my own, that's really challenging because I could probably starve in an airport um, because I can't bring myself to go up to the counter and order food.
0: Why? What's what's stopping you? I don't know.
1: I you know, could probably spend hours talking to a psychologist to find out what my mum did to me in my childhood to make that a problem, <laughs> but we don't have the time for it.
0: Is the problem like choosing what you want or telling them what you want or trusting their preparation of the food? Yeah,
1: I just, I can pick something off the menu and think that sounds really nice. And then I just stand there mutely in front of the people and then I just walk (laughs) away. I'll just be hungry, it's fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's funny yeah it's weird <laughs> i went to law school with with two girls and we stayed friends in our first year out we went to dinner about once a month in our first year out as lawyers and there were two of us who were the same we as you like at restaurants we couldn't pick we couldn't make the decisions and there was one of us who was really headstrong and organized and we just loved that she would just always pick and we pretty much always went to the same restaurant too and we would just keep chatting while she you know told the waiter what we wanted and then then one month, one week, she wasn't there. Our friend Rach wasn't there, and it's just me and my friend Kate, and we were paralyzed. We were yeah. like, What what do we eat? And so we just had to get the waiter who knew us by then, and we're like, Rach isn't here, we don't know what we want. Can you just bring us food?
1: Yeah, just bring us what you know we like. And and yeah. that I would be the same. If we go out to dinner or something like that, I'll say to Carrie, I'll have this, um, and then you're gonna order it, you're gonna go off and talk to them. If the waiter happens to come around and force to talk to them, I usually you just point at the menu like oh, I have this thing and I don't care how it's cooked don't talk to me anymore
0: but you're so confident it's funny isn't it yeah. people just have their this is why I like this question because everyone has a funny little quirk about them even if they don't want to say everybody does and yeah. um yeah I think yours is very cute <laughs>
1: it's a bit weird
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear and so many people have funny things around food too like Matt gets anxiety around ordering food because I usually order the better yeah. meal up and he hates it but I think it's because I spent so many years working in hospitality as a teenager and in my early 20s that I can look at a menu and look at a, an establishment and be like yep you're gonna do this well you're gonna do this crap this is gonna be great I'm gonna ask the waitress what she thinks about this and I can sort of dissect it and I know what to order and usually mine looks great and Matt is, you know, not happy with his. And he's like, I should have got what you got. And so now he usually just copies me. Yeah, I'll just have whatever Kat orders. <laughs> Pretty much, he's like, can you just pick for me? Can we have two different things and share? i like, oh, I'll just leave it with me, it's fine. So you'd be fine. If we were out together, you'd be fine with me.
1: Excellent, I'll point at the menu, you order whatever you want for me.
0: <laughs> That's a good one, thank you for sharing that. That's okay. Now, can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that has positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory?
1: I found this question really hard um, and and the answer was no, I couldn't actually think of a purchase. I can, I guess the usual, you know, the nice monitoring equipment or something like that mm-hmm. that's made things easy, but I, I sort of thought a little more deeply about it and whilst it's mm-hmm. not actually a purchase, it was the thing that has made the biggest impact on uh, my vet nurse life. Mm -hmm. Um, Aspen's second litter, and everything comes back to the dogs in my life, um, (laughs) we kept a puppy called Carice from that litter, and we didn't actually intend to keep a puppy uh, from this litter uh, initially, but she was just a really nice-looking dog, was going to be a lovely show dog, had lots of future goals and breeding plans for her, Um, By the time she was five months of age, uh, it was very clear that she had uh, some serious mental health disease and Mm. we went down the path of uh, behaviour specialists uh, and medications for her. She was just very, very scared of all the things that went on in her life. Um, Some days I couldn't look at her in her direction in the lounge room because that would just cause her to lay on the ground and shake and and wee Mm. herself. other days she would just come up seeking comfort but also try and bite you or bite me at the same time Mm. um good relationship with the other dogs in the house uh but the flip side of that is that sometimes she would change her mind very suddenly and, and they weren't great relationships um and so we've We spent four and a half years treating her uh, with a range of medications to help her achieve her level of normal. Um, And on the surface, I think if if you were here and had the opportunity to meet her, um, you'd probably think that she was a fairly normal dog. But like a lot of people. have anxiety and and stress like that Um, they put on a brave face and they do quite well in that moment because socially it's considered uh, normal or appropriate to to be normal and to involve yourself in some of those interactions Um, but Carice if we took her out say to a cafe where there were other people around she'd say hello to everyone come home uh, and then she would just crash for hours so you couldn't look at her she would be shaking and groaning Mm. um, aggressive towards the other dogs at times uh, just a a really hard time in her head Um, and she gave me a lot of respect for actually some of these patients that we see are having a really hard time and even though I have what I thought was a pretty good understanding of dogs and how they behave and how to train them and how to interact with them um, she really taught me that there's a whole nother world (laughs) to the way we interact uh, and that it's really important that the animal has choice about those interactions and that it's okay for them to say no Mm. because if they have that flexibility and and that control over saying no, they are actually more likely to say yes and come back and have another go at that interaction Mm. which we can then convert into um, husbandry care and and letting the animal have a choice in, in their own husbandry which as you know is something I'm very passionate about.
0: Now, I had ne- not heard of this until until you wrote to me about it, and I would love for you to explain what this cooperative husbandry or veterinary care is.
1: Yeah, so it's it stemmed very much from my experience with Carice, and I guess if we think of the average animal that comes into the clinic, even just for a puppy for its vaccination, um, we say hello to the puppy, we give it a bit of a pat, but it actually doesn't have much of a choice about what happens. We Mm -hmm. put them on the table, a stethoscope gets put on them. If they're wriggly, you know, we we might give them a lick plate or some food or something like that. But at the end of the day, they have to stand there or lay there and have that done. Um, And this cooperative husbandry is actually about uh, training our animals to choose to let that happen rather than just having it forced on them. and certainly, uh, Carice was a dog that had to be uh, sedated and at uh, in some points in her life anaesthetised to get into the vet clinic. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and we did uh, her last vaccination, we ended up saying goodbye to her in August of this year. So it's still quite fresh. Mm, um, yeah. But her last vaccination, we managed to get her into the vet clinic Um no muzzle no sedation no anything and asked her are you ready to have your vaccination and the way she said yes was to do a chin target so you just offer your hand um when her head's on the chin that was uh, on your hand her chin was on my hand sorry um that was her way of saying yep I'm ready to have a go at this and if she lifted her head up we just stopped Mm -hmm. um and you know, the vaccination appointment was still just 20 minutes. It didn't take any longer. Yeah. But we didn't have to sedate her or, mm-hmm. um, you know, force her into it or uh, muzzle her or even restrain her in any mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a dog that's had some pretty serious efforts um, at biting vets uh, in mm-hmm. veterinary care because mm-hmm. she does get that stressed. And I think uh, if we could, in puppy school or just through client education, um show our clients that we can just spend two or three minutes a day getting our dogs used to uh, saying yes I'm ready to do this thing and some of the basic training like let me touch your ears or your feet or your lift your tail up for a a thermometer Mm -hmm. Uh, we can have these animals that choose to to participate in that husbandry care um, and that makes everyone's experience you know a thousand times better within the clinic.
0: And is that how you were doing this training by just, um, you know, offering positive reward around being touched or having, you know, mouth looked at or ears looked at? or
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Carice was uh, a very tactile sensitive dog. And so whilst uh, her and I had a very, very good relationship, it was also quiet turbulent at times
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and there were times when she would seek comfort from me but did not want to be touched and she would flinch and and pull away whilst mm-hmm. trying to sit on your lap she, she had a bit of a hard her head was not a fun place to be um, or she'd turn around and you know nose bunt very hard if you put a hand on her shoulder, for example. So yeah. we uh, taught her that if you put your chin on my hand, you'll get uh, a treat and nothing bad's gonna happen. I'm not going to touch you. Yeah. Um, and then we just very slowly introduced with her, um, I can touch your ear or I can touch your head, take my hand away. And if she lifts her head up, uh, we stop, we back off, we give her yeah. space, she can go and play with a toy or do something to burn some energy. Um, and we don't do anything until she chose to come back. And she's a really extreme example. Um, Most dogs are not like that. Um, Split on the flip side, you know, at his uh, 16 week vaccination, up on the table, um, we didn't teach a chin target for him. We just asked him to drop his head on the table yeah. and dropped his head on the table and just laid there and, and didn't flinch for any of those exams, which for a 16 week old uh, border collie, that's a, yeah. it's hard to lay still and it's hard to lay still when there's people around cause it's quite people focused. Um, yeah. But you know, he chose to take part in that and, and didn't have any negative experiences. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the same for every yeah. dog and cat and bird or anything yeah. that came through the clinic.
0: Yeah, we've changed um, a lot of how we give vaccinations with dogs, like we, we will always throw treats on the table and try to distract and a lot of them don't know that anything's happened other than they went in and saw the vet, they got given some treats, they got cuddles and we give them treats when they come into the reception area. And although I thought I wasn't familiar with this concept, I have come across it before now that you've explained it to me. When I was at the Wasava conference in Thailand a few years ago, I went up and spoke to a a behavioral specialist at the end of a presentation and I said you know I've loved everything that you've explained today I do have an issue that is is causing me growing anxiety which is handling um little dogs like your um your Jack Russells and um you know chihuahuas and the 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 bitey little dogs that kind of will bite without warning when they're scared and I said you know how do you retrieve them from the cage like they're fine when I take them in they're fine when I put them in into their bed you know if they're here for a dental or whatever it is but as soon as I go to get them out of the cage they just snapping and growling and I can't even get them out like once they're out and they're given their pre-med and you know for the rest of the day the day they're fine and it was just this life-changing advice where this lady said to me Call them to the front of the cage, don't reach in there like never reach in there to grab them, let them choose to come to you. Yeah, and it's something that I just always did after then. And nine, 99% of the time, it would work. I would just open the or do squeaky voice coming up to the cage, open the cage door, do squeaky voice, and call them up to me. And they'd yeah. be really excited and run to me, and I'd be like, Oh well, this was easy. Like, why have I been reaching in and being attacked?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that um, if we can instill that same – it's such a simple thing and such a small concept, really. Mm. If we can instill that in our clients when they come in with these baby puppies for their first vaccination, you know, get little uh, split used to going in and out of his cage and and coming mm. to you like make him want to be with you as much mm. as we also need them to be in their cage and settled in there but uh, build a lot of value in that relationship in coming to people and different people um, that would just make their experience in the clinic uh, a positive one and also yeah. make our jobs a lot easier you know we never want to see these animals scared and stressed and you know emotional to the point that they feel they need to bite that these are not aggressive animals they are just scared
0: yeah i think that
1: if we can improve that for them uh then that's only going to be a win-win situation all round.
0: Yeah, I'm really passionate about about making those improvements as well, and for the benefit of staff too. I mean, you can see when that anxiety builds in yourself or your co-workers because you've had a bad run with being bitten or <laughs> snapped at. And you, you, uh, for me, I'm usually once bitten, twice shy. I, I have to be aware that once I have been snapped at, I then approach with the wrong. Um, body language the next time or the next patient because I'm approaching with that oh don't bite me body language instead of hey we're friends come out to the the front of the cage and I'll pick you up and we'll go for a walk it'll be great.
1: Yeah and I think uh, respecting you know that animal that yep we had a bad interaction before and they're probably just as scared as you you know they're they're not not biting to say I'm a big bad dog or a big bad cat in my experience it's usually cats Um, (laughs) but you know if we can respect that that was a negative experience for you and for me. Um, Let's work really hard at building lots of positive experience so that that withdrawal uh, doesn't put the bank into deficit as it were. Um, Mm. Then I think that we can go a long way to improving uh, those relationships uh, in in a medical sense. So those uh, nursing care relationships with those animals.
0: Agreed. Now, can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory, be it personal or in a professional capacity?
1: We've kind of touched on this a little bit already, Mm -hmm. Um, but when I left full-time clinical nursing, um, that was really hard. I, Mm -hmm. at the time, was living on my own um, and the clinic, uh, the the building was home, the people were family. I was was a vet nurse and that was how I identified myself and that was the thing I did. I picked up all the after-hours shift and all the overtime shifts because that was who I was. Um, mm-hmm. and that was taken you yeah, a decision to leave was made quite suddenly um and then i I'd, I'd lost all of those things that I thought I was and that yep. was that was really hard like it was i've said goodbye to my dog and now I've actually also given up the thing that was me mm-hmm. um, and moved into this other role that was not a practical role. Um, I'm not naturally someone who wants to sit at a desk and sit still for nine hours a day. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoy being uh, doing things and, and making a difference and working with animals and working with people as well and, and clients and such. Um, and I took that uh, quite defeated, uh, really probably quite depressive uh, experience and thought, how can I stop anyone else from being in this same situation? And so I've used that to help me educate the nurses that are coming through, um, so that they've got uh, a whole lot of tools in their toolbox to avoid themselves being in that same situation. Um, I think industry-wide, we have a lot of people come in and out of the industry, so they're not there for longevity. Yep. And I think that if we have nurses who have better coping skills and are able to manage their own stresses, yeah. then we're going to build longevity in this really rewarding career. And so I think that uh, I took my own uh, defeat at that and, and failure. Like I still find it quite hard that uh, to identify that I'm not actively nursing all the time now and that that is Mm -hmm. still a bit of a challenge for me or even all these years later Mm -hmm. Um, but if I can take that and help someone else say you know I am a vet nurse and I am strong and I can do this and I'm here for the long run you know this is my career it's not just a job Um, you know then that's I think a really nice victory and and if there's just one nurse that walks away uh, thinking that then that's a huge win
0: yeah and i'm sure that you will have that positive influence on on everybody that that you're assisting um through through the australian college of vet nursing and um and i I, I, it is hard when you have that your identity is wrapped up in doing that active nursing and then you you move on to something else but um i hope that you're you're you know you know that you are making a difference because i absolutely loved having you as my teacher as well and um is are the coping strategies and this focus are they built into to the um, qualifications or is that a spin that you're putting on it like how are you sort of preparing these nurses
1: yeah it's a bit of a spin that we use um, in the college certainly the training package uh, talks about managing stress and uh, communication skills and and those sorts of strategies but we um, try to instill that self-drive in our students and and not give it to them but help them recognize that actually they've already got that in them and study might be hard and it's okay to say that you're not coping there's mm-hmm. strength in that um, and let's let's take that little bit of strength and that little bit of courage it took to say I need some help or mm-hmm. uh, this was hard or, you know, I have to do a resubmission, which you'll be familiar
0: with. Um, oh, every, every single right. assessment.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm sorry about that. Um, but let's take that and build that into something that shows that you actually have the skills to manage these things yourself and yeah. grow that through their qualification. And, you know, we've had some students that I've we've watched go from um, certificate too so brand new out of school um, and there's a lot of I can'ts in those yeah. students I can't yeah. study I can't reference I can't find the answers mm-hmm. I, I can't succeed mm-hmm. um, and you know those students that, that come back and progress through these qualifications that I can it's just like I can do this I can go and find that answer I can give you what you want when you give me that feedback and What I really like is when they start to almost one-up for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I can give you what you've asked for and here's some more to prove to you that I understand that concept or that I'm passionate about this thing. Um, And I think that's really nice to see.
0: And as much as I hated doing resubmissions, I think that they are are so valuable because it sort of um, flips what you're trying to do. So, for me, I would be trying to focus – most of my writing on the things that I understood really easily and then just gloss over these little (laughs) bits that I didn't quite understand and hope that nobody really figured that out. (laughs) And actually, it's the opposite. What you need someone to do is to pull you up and to train you to spend more time focusing on those bits that you don't really understand that well. Look at those more because you don't, it's really effortless, you know, 80% of that assignment, but the 20% that's not effortless, you really need to drill right down into it and it's difficult but it's nice at the end to look back and go actually I do understand that now and that's what you have to do day to day in your career as well you have to say why am I not comfortable giving um, you know IM injections or why am I not comfortable restraining cats or why am I not comfortable dealing with difficult clients and you need to learn how to focus your energy on um, improving your skills in those areas I think.
1: Yeah exactly and I think it is nice that um, because we're an online system we don't have the luxury of of seeing our students face to face or being able to give that instant feedback and that advice and guidance that we can give in a resubmission um, is is that form of in-class communication that we're lacking this is where we can say you know you've done a really good job with this thing and you've explained this bit nicely Mm. can you expand this other bit Um, you've got a really nice basic understanding or basic discussion here let's look at all of these other bits and pieces and explore that together so we can give you a little bit of guidance um, Mm -hmm. but and you know maybe even uh, give some students some ideas on where they're going to go to find that information but to have them students come back and say I did some research and I found this thing in a paper and I understand what it means like that's just I think that's just one of the most rewarding things that we can have happen.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely and rewarding for you as a teacher, no doubt, but also rewarding as the student to be like, this was petrifying and now I get it. Yeah, I did it. (laughs) Yeah, very cool. Well, this might be a good note to take a quick break. You right if we come back shortly? Yeah, it sounds good, Kat. Very good. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from you if you like. So far, two corporate sponsors, ReadyVet and the Animal Industries Resource Centre have kindly helped cover some of the costs of these free episodes. You can help too by scoring yourself some eco-friendly and oh-so-chic Radio Vet Nurse merch. Head to my website, RadioVetNurse.com. And check out my glass reusable coffee keep cup, which you can take to your favourite cafe and save the need for single-use paper cups. Continuing in the theme of eco-friendly receptacles for Nurse fuel, I've also got a lightweight, shatter-resistant glass water bottle. All with Radio Nurse logo, so we know we're in the club. Wink, wink. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Natalie. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing?
1: Uh, I would say, uh, do you like working with people? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that we, as we said before, that's one of the areas that's overlooked. Um, I, from my own experience, the advice that I would give would be uh, just be patient and advocate for the animals in your care. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that in a in practice, it's it's easy to be busy because it is a busy environment and when we're busy um, we can be a little impatient at times Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I think it's really important that uh, that little cat, you know, 18 year old cat with kidney failure, uh, he doesn't know that we're busy, he just knows that he Mm -hmm. doesn't feel great Um, and he he probably is a little bit cranky as well because he's 18 and he has the right to be -hmm. grumpy with the world Um, Mm -hmm. and I just think that just stop and and take the time to be patient um, with each animal and you know, get to know the animal for who it is and recognize what they do and don't like and, and respect uh, that particular animal's idiosyncrasies I guess.
0: I love it when vet nurses pipe up and say oh no of course he didn't eat his dinner he doesn't eat out of those bowls he only eats out of these bowls or like of course he won't let you you know restrain him like that he has you have to do it like this.
1: Yeah yeah or like he doesn't go to the toilet when you use his name you have to use his nickname. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we have lots of little alerts like that in our files of, um, and there are some that won't eat their dinner without it, like a keyword that the owner usually gives. And I love when we can like, you know, do the detective work and find out all of the patient's needs. And I know a lot of my nurses, when I say in our um, six monthly self appraisals with the question that's, what do you least like about the job? Often they're saying days that are too busy to invest that time in the patient. So I know um, for a lot of them, it's, it's hard to be nursing these patients without doing that side which is you know a lot of the nursing I mean it's one thing to know how to um practically look after a patient you know in medical and treatment terms but you know there's also their needs of um, reassurance and interaction and boredom and all those things yeah
1: and I think that if we have uh take you know just a minute or two with each patient so that we do get to know them uh, that's not going to be the you know kill the day it's not going to make us run an hour late at the end of the day it's mm-hmm. just going to give us a whole lot of uh, job satisfaction I think to know that we've done a really good job with that particular patient and taking that time I think helps to develop some of those core nursing skills as well in our young nurses they often a little bit scared to try. And I think, you yeah. know, go and spend five minutes getting to know uh, this little dog in a cage. Um, tell me what did you learn about him in those five minutes and um, it's amazing they come back like oh he he likes chin scratches but he doesn't like it when I put my arm under his chest or he actually Mm. prefers to be scratched on his butt what a weirdo you know (laughs) and and we can use those uh to help with our nursing it's like okay this little dog doesn't want to be picked up by his chest maybe we should be scooping him or actually letting him walk he does have four legs yeah um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah and so I think that there's there's great opportunity to nurse better by getting to know our patients and, and spending that time with them
0: and obviously you have been working in dog behavior for a long time um, and I know I'm interested to to chat about that you do some casual work with um, guide dogs helping to raise their litters you're also now moving into learning about cat behavior can you tell me a bit about both of those things what are you doing with the guide dog puppies firstly
1: yeah so guide dogs um, I work up just on a casual basis helping raise their litters from uh, birth three to around about 10 weeks when they go out to their puppy raising homes mm-hmm. um, and it really is the best job There's literally just get paid to play with puppies. Um,
0: Where are they living at that time, like zero to 10 weeks?
1: Yeah, so they're in uh, the guide dog's head office or head facility where they've got some designated whelping rooms and and puppy raising um, areas and yards. Mm -hmm. And so our job there is really to instill in these dogs a very strong bond uh, towards people and towards wanting to be with people. Mm -hmm. And even like some of the finer things like don't sit in front but sit next to us. Um, some good handling skills obviously these dogs need to be okay with being handled uh, in an appropriate way but also perhaps in ways that may not be uh, sensitive exactly to their needs Uh, blind people don't always know exactly where that dog is and so they won't go to put a harness on but uh, you know smack into the side of their head or something like that with Mm -hmm. the harness and so it's about building resilience uh, in these puppies from a young Mm -hmm. age that stuff happens to you and it's actually really cool and it's okay yeah um and and also I guess helping some of that basic training uh to be crate trained uh to lay down when you're asked to lay down and to ignore distractions so don't chase the leaves don't go hunting for food I know you're a Labrador and I'm sorry
0: <laughs> um,
1: but sometimes you actually have to stay with me even when there's lollies on the ground for example
0: uh, some some Labradors come in, you, you know, for an appointment with us, and I just look at them and think, "Thank God you are not a guide dog because you're nuts!" Like, yeah. obviously, there do, do, do all of the puppies in a litter tend to make it through to the training point, or do you know early on that some of them are just, you know, not suitable?
1: Yeah, you, you can, um, and certainly my role is not to uh, make those decisions. But through watching multiple litters go through, um, you get an idea of which puppies are likely to be successful based on which other ones you've helped raise that have been successful yeah. um, and surprisingly it's actually the naughtiest puppy so it's <laughs> the one that barked the loudest or the one that would just always grab your pants and tug on your pants when you were trying to get out of the room um, those dogs that have a lot of drive and a lot of yeah. passion and um, it's mm. often those guys that do make the best guide dogs um Mm -hmm. the success rate I guess globally is actually quite low it's a fairly challenging program to get through um and I think it's around about 30 percent of dogs um, that are bred for guide dogs actually end up being uh, successful guide dogs that are partnered with a person and so wow
0: yeah that is low
1: yeah um some of those dogs that are I guess the non-successful guys uh, will mo- be moved into autism assistance programs or yeah. um, pets as therapy dogs as well so there's lots yeah. of other ways that they their skill and breeding and, and some of that uh, genetic intelligence can still mm-hmm. be utilized mm-hmm. um, and there's always going to be a couple that are just perfect pets Um, their their passion in life is not uh, to be doing things their passion is just to lay on the couch and, and and some of those guide dogs have made perfect pets.
0: Yeah there's some beautiful dogs I mean we have a regular guide dog patient and there was a time where I always seemed to be doing my weekly shop at the same time as um, that family were doing their weekly shop and um, the the owner would be sitting on a bench um, with the dog waiting for his wife to do the rounds and I I used to do this dog's trim this dog's nails quite often like every three or four weeks and he yep. would always be really scared but I gave him a lot of treats Aww. and a lot of love and we had a relationship and he used to see me at the supermarket and almost be looking out for me and he'd look up at me almost like doing my nails or yeah. not like I'm not prepared for this like I thought we were just at the supermarket and I just look at him and be like you're right buddy I'm just getting my groceries but he could just <laughs> see you he knew from a mile off he could spot me I'm like yeah he's onto me he's probably like smelt me a mile away yeah
1: yeah and it is I think it's nice for those dogs to uh, still show their personalities like uh I don't really want my nails trimmed but if we're gonna do it okay um but I'm also still working so I'm not going to uh, run away or hide or do anything I'm still here to do my job I'm just gonna be you know put my big brave guide dog hat on um even if that is the nail trim lady coming
0: towards me (laughs) yeah that's it and how have you gone making the shift to cat behavior because Matt and I tried to rescue a cat that was found near our practice and we brought it home but we're so used to having dog who is a mixed breed working dog and he's very obedient and he's very well trained and then we had this kitten that was just like jumping up onto the kitchen bench and in at the food and we're like sit down off what's the word like, I, I don't know and it was just looking at us like don't you know I'm a cat like I just do what the hell I want and we ended up rehoming it with a friend because we were like we can't handle this like you you must be used to having some pretty obedient well trained dogs now you're in the land of the cat what's going on
1: yeah cats are just different they are little aliens um cats i think the important thing to know is that cats will just do what they want when they want um because they wanted to and that might change at any given minute and you just have to kind of roll with it um i am i'm doing a course an advanced certificate um in feline behavior at the moment great um and it is really teaching me that uh whilst cats are uh kind of little fairy aliens that have come to hang out in our houses um they're just not social creatures they're independent creatures who haven't got a big range of social communication skills because i guess uh genetically and uh historically there has been no need for it because they don't live necessarily in family groups and as owners we're expecting them to have some of those social cues so uh good morning and i want to see you whereas the cat's like i live on my own and who are you <laughs> um yeah, we can share this space but i don't need to be in your face and you don't need to be in
0: mine yeah um, yeah
1: it is obviously there's individual personalities within uh cats as well we're really mm-hmm. fortunate that this little bear miller um bachi that we've brought into our house uh is a relatively social cat. He's certainly very confident um, yeah. and it has worked out that there's four dogs. Two of them are good. The puppy is his best friend. Um, Lexi is appropriately scared of him so yes. he offers no threat. The other two he's not still not completely sure about um, yeah. but we will get there with time. Uh, training the dogs and just letting but you know that you might be a kilo but you are the
0: boss
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah cats are are different and and hopefully the course will help me uh, learn a little bit more about why they do some of the things they do and and again getting back to their behavior about why do cats in the same house get stressed and and Mm. why do we have some of these issues where they apparently get along just fine but then once every few months there's this enormous uh, fight between them Mm. Um, I think we miss some of the very very subtle signs that tell us that cats aren't coping I think being solitary by nature. Um, They're pretty good at hiding or having very subtle signs about not feeling comfortable or confident because a lot Mm -hmm. of their life is about bluff. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, hopefully I get better at reading that.
0: And a lot of that is so linked to um, reoccurrence of medical issues and that sort of thing too. So it's so intrinsically linked to our vet nursing and it's one of my goals for 2019 is to be working with one of my nurses who's our um, head of nursing and patient care and we're going to try and really improve some of our cat handling. I don't know if you heard the episode with Joe Hatcher. We spoke about this and the ISFM guidelines and all of those things. So I want to try and learn more as well and we want to start improving that in our practice but um, and we have to an extent, you know, even just by use of pheromones and um, you know providing igloos and coranda beds and things for them to have vertical space or to hide, and makes a big difference. I'm looking forward to making even more of a difference.
1: Yeah, well, maybe think about putting one of your nurses through the um, ISF ISFM um, cat courses because I mean that's what I'm doing now, and that's it's a great idea. Certainly is uh, eye opening, and I put my hand up and and say I did not know a lot about cat behaviour. Turns out I knew far less than I thought though.
0: (laughs) Well, good on you for for learning it and good on you for still being a student even after all this time, which is a good segue to what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies?
1: Yeah, um, I think which I give this advice pretty much every day, uh, which Mm -hmm. is it's okay to say it's hard. -hmm. And there's, uh, it takes a whole lot of you know bravery to say that I'm struggling and to admit that to someone, especially Mm -hmm. when uh, in our role uh, that's the person who is assessing you. So you kind of feel a little bit judged by that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think just being able to say it's I am struggling and it's Mm -hmm. okay to say that, Um, and then to accept some help from those people. the, what we find with some students they contact us to say this is hard um, but then the solutions to fixing um, how hard study is are also quite difficult because at the end of the day that work still has to be done Yeah, and so I think uh, let's Break those tasks down into small achievable steps if you have Mm -hmm. a whole subject to get through. And I think I gave you the same advice at one point as well. Yep, Um, you did. (laughs) Don't don't look at that whole subject. Uh, Look at the first topic and then we're just going to look at the first two points in that topic and have a go at reading those and make some notes on those and... And, and that's a goal, you've done it, you've achieved, you've actually got some of that study done and that bit is now behind you.
0: So yeah. I think
1: um, don't don't focus on the big picture, which is I need to be a qualified vet nurse or I need to finish this qualification. Focus on the things that you can achieve in a very short period of time. Um, yeah. I find some students will uh, avoid study because it's hard and it's stressful Mm -hmm. and don't really know how to start or how to study. Mm -hmm. And then they sit down on a Sunday uh, morning like, oh, gosh, I have to get my study done. And they try and just spend a whole day doing that thing, um, which then in its own, it's not necessarily effective study and it adds stress. And I think if students could – spend shorter periods of time studying
0: mm, um, more regularly
1: yeah in a, in a more regular way and make that achievable so I I mean I follow my own advice I sit down and I study for give myself 30 minutes um when I've finished work I go and have a cup of tea talk to the dogs uh check the cat's okay uh say hello to Kerry if she's home and then come back and study for 30 minutes and set a timer and even if I'm doing really well um I stop myself yeah good at go say hello to the chickens you know uh, spend some time outside or prepare dinner or whatever it is give myself a little bit of a break and then come back to that and I'm usually quite excited to go back to that um yeah that subject or that thing because I kind of stopped myself at a point when I wanted to keep going
0: that's hard to do as well that's really hard to stop something that you're enjoying doing or seeing yourself making progress but um definitely I think better than just working until you're no longer being effective in thinking or producing you know your notes or whatever you're doing so that's um that's excellent advice and yes the first part you definitely gave me too so thank you (laughs) it's okay (laughs) And are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse, whether from colleagues or clients, that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information?
1: Uh, again, it comes back to behaviour because that is mm. my real passion. Um, I, I struggle when I hear nurses talking about uh, dominance theories and mm. just have to be the boss of that dog or just tell him he did the wrong thing. Um, uh, there's, there is a change and it is happening, but it would be really nice to see a bit of a global shift in, in vet nurses um, towards a, I guess a modern and fair approach uh, where the advice that we're giving is actually focused on building a good, respectful relationship with that animal, regardless of what it is, um, you know, a parrot, cat, dog partner it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. um, just where there's a bit of a, an understanding of each other's needs uh, if we have a better understanding about what the other party is going through we're in a better position to help them um, mm-hmm. and that would be really nice to see nurses uh, I guess gain their improve their own knowledge about these things so that they can pass that advice on and have that nice flow on effect
0: yeah yeah i really enjoyed uh reading sophia yin's writing about um you know let's leave dominance theory behind and dogs are not wolves and you know kind of poking holes through all of these old theories that i think have had traction for a long time and it is nice to see them slowly being broken down yeah and
1: and there is um i guess at the end of the day i'm I and wouldn't want to have to, you know, inflict some pain or some fear on, on my dogs mm. and I certainly wouldn't want to give that advice to someone and have that go wrong. You just don't know where that dog or animal is at and if we gave some advice where things go wrong and perhaps a a person got bitten or you know the the dog panicked and hurt itself or something like that Um, you know we're there to advocate for our patient's best interests and one of the ways we can do that is to give very safe advice.
0: Yes absolutely And I think we've touched on the next question as well but how do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue these days?
1: Yeah I bake a lot. (laughs) Uh, I don't I I went through a period where I was also eating everything I baked and that wasn't turning out well for me so I give most of it away Um, and so yeah so I I, I spend quite a bit of time baking. Um, Mm. I'm quite an introverted person as well so just having Mm. um that quiet time uh grab a book grab a cup of tea um grab the dog or now a cat yeah and sit on the couch and just kind of lose myself in those spaces where there's nothing for me to think about or commit to yes um that's really important to me um something I've learned quite recently uh is that it's really helpful just to go and talk to someone about like hey and that could be a partner it could be a mentor or a friend or whatever yeah. just say this thing sucked and it was hard and mm. I yeah you know, maybe I didn't handle it well or it mm. uh, didn't turn out the way I wanted um, mm. and just getting that uh, objective and logical outsider's look and say uh, yeah you perhaps didn't do that as well as you thought or um, mm. yes that was very hard but these are the things that we can do or that you could think about doing next time I think is really important as well.
0: And it can be difficult to reach out to people in that way as well when you are an introvert too because yeah. um, I I have a lot of people go, no, you're not when I say this but I'm an introvert as well and um, it's hard because often I just want to um, – I find it – I love engaging with people but I do find it somewhat exhausting and I do kind of need to recharge and um, to an extent I'm somewhat private but I always find when I do reach out, it's really nice and often those people are who I think at the time, like I shouldn't bother them, you know, they've got their own stuff to worry about but often they're texting me in the the days later going, do you need to talk again today? How are you going? Like, are you feeling better? I'm like, oh, this person didn't actually mind giving me that time at all and they're still checking in on me, which is nice.
1: Yeah, and that gives you some self-worth. Like often you're not feeling great when you reach out to those people and it's nice that yep, someone out there thinks that I'm a good person, that I'm worthy and they care. And I didn't have to ask for that. They just did that because they care about me. And that that is, you know, there's more worth and value in that than we could perhaps recognise.
0: Absolutely. And if you ever feel overwhelmed about life or work, what do you do?
1: Look, to be honest, I sit down and cry
0: I've heard that answer before and I love the honesty in yeah. it. I love the honesty in yeah. it.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been some really ugly uh, days in this year because we've had some pretty challenging uh, emotional things uh, yeah. in the last 12 months and so there's been yeah. a lot of tears mm-hmm. um, and once the tears are gone or even perhaps sometimes while they're still happening, mm-hmm. uh, the things that are really helpful to me is just go back and look at the, the things that are your family um, mm-hmm. and Like I'll go out and we have a couple of chickens as well. And so I'll go out and see the chickens and Mm -hmm. thank them for their eggs, trade their eggs for some tuna and corn, which they really love, um, and just watch them enjoy that. Yeah. Um, Focus on the small things that I can achieve. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm really just like, oh, can't get through today – I got out of bed that's a win uh, i've mm. made I've made coffee that's a win I totally got, got to work on time that's a win totally yeah and and I make lists uh ridiculous lists sometimes it's like uh, get up, get dressed, brush your teeth. It's <laughs> like look at me, I'm winning on this day. <laughs>
0: I like those lists too. And I yeah. include things I've already done or things that are very easy to do just yeah. so I can be like tick, 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 look at me go. Yeah. I can actually do this. I'm already halfway through my list.
1: See? Yeah, exactly. And, and think that uh, just having those small things to focus on so that you have a sense of achievement when you're overwhelmed about maybe the big projects or the big things that are going on uh, is really important. It certainly helps me.
0: I agree and I I agree also it's important to just recognize that in difficult times like just the fact that you got out of bed you are coping this is what coping looks like congratulations like yeah. that's as simple as it is.
1: Yep yep just the small things.
0: <laughs> yeah now just winding into our last couple of questions what's the main area of our industry that you think needs attention or improvement? I
1: have two points. So probably the first one is uh, support for our senior and management nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really big focus on um, new nurses coming into the industry and upskilling them and helping them do their jobs in the right way. And that job is falling to people like you. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that there's a bit of a deficit in the way that the industry supports people in your role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. you know. It's a really hard gig. There's a lot of uh, personal and emotional investment in these nurses of mentoring them and educating them and advocating for them, you know, like let the new nurses have a go or yes. um, I'll support you during this anaesthetic and there's a lot of logistics that needs to mm. go into making sure that support is available. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that if we can do a better job at uh giving senior nurses uh, a place where they can feel supported, uh, where they can be more skilled in what they're doing, have a better understanding of where their support might come from and what that looks like. Um, Yeah. I think that that would go a long way to improve nursing across the board because the senior nurses are less stressed so they're doing better training and support of their nurses in clinic Mm -hmm. and then that uh, flow-on effect is that we have better patient advocacy uh, Mm -hmm. which is at the end of the day that is what our job is. Completely. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing uh, is uh, an industry respect for education Um, and I know that Sue touched on this a little bit um, Mm -hmm. in her chat with you. And I think there's a lot of employers out there that uh, have a lot of respect for education for nurses, but I still think, and we see with some of our students, that there's some employers that don't yet understand the value um, a qualified and trained nurse can bring to their their team and their Mm. business. Mm. Um, And I think if we, compare the role of a veterinary nurse just in a general day um, compared to say uh, a nurse in the human world or a particular role in the human world you know our vet nurses are doing so much work that is usually done by whole teams of people mm. uh, and we're often asking people that are uneducated in some of those tasks and mm-hmm. uh, roles and I think that if we could ensure that every employer out there recognised that there is great value in having educated and trained nurses working in their clinic. Uh, you know, there's uh, financial benefits and so on as well. But I just think that that would be the biggest area that we can improve in our industry is just getting that respect for education and skilled nursing across the board.
0: Absolutely. And I I quickly learned through having ready ReadyVet the value of these qualified and experienced vet nurses. And that is one thing that we always try to do is to attract and to retain these nurses because they are worth their weight in gold um you know the skills that they bring to the table and what they the benefits they bring to the team to the patients and the first point you touched on too um that's something that has really been at the forefront of my business for me just in the last couple of months because now all of a sudden we've got a bigger team we've got two juniors at the moment and On the one hand we want to involve them and we want to get them you know doing anesthetics and doing tprs and helping recover patients but in another way you've got to make sure that they're introduced to that in a safe way Um, and you can't be holding off until they've finished their qualification because part of getting the qualification is doing these things and being filmed doing it and writing an assignment on how they did it so we and i i have felt um lost as to how to do that I guess lately and so we created a new role for one of my nurses just a month or two ago um and it's it's basically a, a- head of nursing and patient care role where she's going to help me roll out these training modules that, that we've just designed that are independent to the certificate four and we've basically just broken it down into like a front of house one uh, for like a, a reception kind of module because yeah. we all do shares of it but then out the back we've broken it into we call it back nurse working out the back so we've got bn1 to five so five different back nurse modules and they cover different times of day or helping with different particular things be it treatments or surgeries and we've basically made a list of what are the things that what, what are the risks here? You know, if, yeah. if this junior is involved in doing this, what are the risks to the patient and how do we mitigate those? And how do we get the goals so that um, the vets have had input and the nurses have had input, you know, the qualified nurses? And then we're basically going to then be able to show everyone in the team, okay, this junior at the moment is signed off on BN1 and BN2. We're trying to expose them to BN3 so that they're not just getting thrown in the deep end across the board so that, um, you know, if this particular case is happening, yeah bring them in let's if there's time let's get them in on this but they haven't even touched on the module for the other thing that's happening in the other treatment room so let's just get them rolling drapes or whatever it is it just at the at, sometimes it just feels crazy like how do we how do we involve them but keep it safe for everyone
1: yeah and i think um what we need is is clinics like ready vet um who are proactive about recognizing that uh, we're putting some of our nurses in these quite challenging positions where we're asking them to train uh, new or junior nurses or learning nurses uh, mm-hmm. under their care, but also still do their job. Um, and at the end yep. of the day, they're not given more time. Like the shift is mm-hmm. the same length. The business operates for the same hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having some really clear structure to that, which is, you know, what you're doing um, You've got different modules and this person has been trained in this and it's safe. We can ask this nurse to do these things, but we actually want to expose them to this stuff as well. And so it gives a really supported and structured way for your senior nurses to do that education role um, and feel comfortable and feel supported and safe while doing that.
0: Yeah, and I definitely see, um, you know, the value of, of offering that support to to senior nurses who are training um, and helping with juniors and also just recognizing what they bring to the table even without doing that. So, and as you said, Sue mentioned it too. So, it is a, a common theme of just educating um, educating everyone in, in the veterinary healthcare team and the public as to what we can do and the value. So, I think that's great. Now, just to to wrap it up today, if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say?
1: Yeah, now this was the easiest question to answer. Um, Julie Harris is, uh, she works for vet partners now, but she's had mm-hmm. many different roles uh, in the veterinary industry over years mm-hmm. from vet nursery to various reps. And um, she is literally worth her weight in gold to me. She's been uh, a true friend a mentor Probably most important is she's a really loud advocate for me in my corner when I'm doubting myself. Yeah. Um, Just like a personal positive sun in the corner, just shining on me when I'm feeling a bit (laughs) doubtful. Um, And I guess I'd probably just say to her, like, thank you for not giving up on me at the times when I was hard work and annoying and doubted myself and just gave you all the reasons why things might not work at a a given time Mm -hmm. Um, and just helping me recognize that you got some strengths and let's celebrate those like yep Mm -hmm. things might not go well but these are the things you're good at and these are the things that we did well and, mm-hmm. and let's turn those weaknesses into an asset. Let's find mm-hmm. ways to build those. And she's she's been instrumental in, I guess, helping me move from a nursing role into a, a human resources management role like I sit in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, mentor relationships go both ways there has to be something for the mentor and the mentee and for Julie certainly uh, the thing that she gets out of it is hugs I am not (laughs) not in any way shape or form a huggy person Um, I'm like a stiff bit of cardboard in your arms Um, but for Julie uh, she gets a hug Uh, she can give as many hugs as she likes for the service that she provides to me as a mentor she's a very good person
0: it sounds like you're like um you know the way cats if a cat's nice to you you're like well that really means something because you're a cat and you just don't give that kind of affection away freely so that's it
1: yeah yeah and I probably am uh, unfortunately for my dogs a better cat owner than I am dog owner <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I, I think you that you're probably very much a great owner of both so <laughs> well we all need someone like Julie in our corner I think just being that cheer squad and that sun shining as you've said and I can hear in in what you've said about Julie I can kind of Hear that that's what you also do with the students that you're helping as well. So I think it's nice too to see that mentor chain continuing and you're providing the same encouragement to to the students that are in your care and no doubt that the team members that you're helping too. So
1: yeah, and it's yeah, there's something really nice about watching someone. Uh, learn to use their own wings and and gain their own confidence and make some choices that helps them grow Um, and to know that you were there to support them Uh, didn't make that happen but you were just there to help that person recognize in themselves that they can do this it's that's really rewarding
0: yeah I love it well that's a lovely note for us to wrap things up on today and thank you so much for joining me Natalie I've been um, wanting to have you on the show um, for pretty much since I launched so thanks for joining me
1: Thanks so much for having me, Kat.
0: Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.